0: Shifting. On both the American side and the Russian side. Shifting voices. He was Polish, and so he spoke Russian as a second language. He didn't speak English. Shifting voices. to improve, came from sort of traveling and understanding that languages could open doors. Shifting voices. Overroll my Rs. I do a little bit too much of perro. Shifting voices. Though I don't necessarily identify as. That being a part of who I
1: am. Shifting Voices. Welcome back to the Shifting Voices podcast, a podcast that takes a closer look at the relationship between second language learning and identity, attempting to discover different ways people have tackled discovering themselves while sifting through various complexities of their second language. Today's special guest is Dan Schwartzman, a writer, blogger, podcaster, multilingual, and music fanatic from Massachusetts. I have known Dan since the early 2000s when we co-edited an online music journal called 30music.com. Having never met in person, our entire relationship has been made possible because of the internet. 30music.com dissolved around the same time Dan began his life abroad. He has since lived in four countries and speaks multiple languages and currently resides in Valencia, Spain. Today I look forward to uncovering more about Dan's language learning journey, what motivates him to continue to learn, and the different roles language plays in his life. So welcome to Shifting Voices. Dan, how is everything in, you are in Valencia, Spain, correct? How's everything going?
0: Thanks, Kyle. Yeah, I'm in Spain, Valencia, Spain, and another hot summer day. And, you know, like everywhere else, we're trying to figure out what normal is amidst the the sort of last stages, I hope, the pandemic, but things
1: are good. Good, good, good. And thank thank you so much for, for coming on today. Yeah, so just to start off, I know a little bit about your background, but I want to start with, I understand that you're from a Russian Jewish immigrant, immigrant family who came to the United States as refugees from the Soviet Union. First, could you explain a little bit about what it was like growing up in a family that had recently immigrated to the United States?
0: It's, you grow up with something and it becomes normal, right? And you don't really know what's different. But as I kind of got into school and everything, you sort of understand that your parents talk with a little bit of an accent or in my dad's case, a lot of an accent. You understand that your grandparents, my grandparents came over when I was, six years old i think my one that and then another a year or two later so you get to you understand that there's a little bit more uh, to communicating that there's something different about your family in that sense and just like, there's like yeah so on the one hand you have all these other things from your family's cu- culture that you don't totally understand because they don't always give you the context you big know big Russian parties for family parties were always sort of the same sorts of food or whatever. And as kids, we just want American pizza or whatever. And at the same time, we had less of an understanding of pop culture. We didn't really, even though my mother loved the Beatles, we didn't really grow up listening to them. I was very confused as a kid between Michael Jackson, Michael Jordan and Magic Johnson. I didn't, I just didn't have, I mean, my older brother, Kind of jumped into the culture pretty quickly. He came over with my parents, but he eight years older than me. I was still sort of hand knowledge about a lot of stuff that I think some people grow up a little bit more. So you know, it's the classic. I mean, it was great, and grateful for it, and it's a huge part of who I am. But there's definitely that feeling of not having all the pieces in place on both sides of the line, on both the American side and the Russian
1: side in my mm, case. Mm, sure, sure. So when when you were growing up in in your home was was the the common language English or were your parents speaking Russian or how did that pan out as they had immigrated from the Soviet Union? So it, it's it was
0: mostly English, I would say especially so I'm a, the second of four. My older brother was born in Moscow and then the rest of us were born in the States. And English was definitely the common language overall. Russian was my parents would use Russian between each other or of course if they were on the phone with friends or with family members and they would use it with my brother too, the older one, even though his Russian skills didn't really advance beyond that four-year-old stage. Like he's his accent is the best of any of the kids, but you know, it's not he didn't gain a lot of vocabulary or what have you. And for us My, my dad just, I don't think ever really cared if we spoke Russian or not. He grew up or he, we grew up with him speaking to us in English. And he, I asked him as an adult, like, do you care that I've learned Russian? He's like, eh, I'd rather you, you know, I'm prouder of your skills in another language. And so it was never important to him, but for my mom, it definitely was important. I think she cared more about those cultural elements. And so she taught me the alphabet when I was six, which is a big deal because it's a different alphabet and all that, taught me how to read. And so I, you know, I read a few children's books. There's Niznayka is a little tale about a boy who doesn't know anything and a bunch of other little children. Chiburashka is a famous uh, children's story and children's figure. And I read that. So I had like exposure to it, but it wasn't you know i could hold a conversation with my grandparents but it was difficult it wasn't like i was really immersed in the language or in the culture but Mm -hmm. it was definitely there and i think it's the same in varying degrees for my younger siblings my mom tried to either a grandparent my grandmother was around to help raise them or there were some conversations so they each had some of a background but yeah it was uh I mean,
1: none of us grew up fluent or anything like that. Okay, so you you weren't like a functioning bilingual with Russian and English growing up, but then you you later you acquired Russian, um, as you mentioned, what was how did that happen? Or what was the motivating factor for taking your Russian into the, the fluent level?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, I guess there were a couple steps. There was my high school offered Russian, and I don't really remember the decision-making around that. I knew I could take an accelerated class, and so maybe I got a kick out of the fact that I was in a class with all juniors and seniors as a freshman, Mm -hmm. and it was a small class. But I don't really, I'm not really sure about that, because I I studied Spanish in middle school, and of course it's like a public school, middle school sort of level, but I really enjoyed it and did well, and so whatever reason, I chose to study Russian. So I took Russian through high school and I minored it in college and even through, you know, so I was in college for three years already and taking Russian at least one semester a year. And I enjoyed it. And I met people who were more bilingual than me in Russian and English. And so I got to see other peers, but it was really traveling that started to inspire me and I in a couple ways in my after my junior year I went with my college wrestling team I wrestled in college and we went on a trip to Europe and Russian ended up being a way for me to connect with the guide who was with us the coach was with us he was Polish and so he spoke Russian as a second language he didn't speak English and then all the other coaches were the same and so it was really like a way for me to meet people and kind of opened doors for me on that trip and that was where the light bulb went on of like oh this isn't just something that I can use to speak with my family and it isn't just something that I can use in school like there are real world opportunities that come from the language that was one thing and then also my my best friend from high school we did a lot of we he sort of discovered Europe around the same time and so we then the next summer went back And traveled and he was he started studying Spanish in college and hadn't studied it since again since middle school or something and he spoke Spanish even then fluently without accent just really really well and so I was both impressed by that and also probably a little bit competitive about it and so that was where I really was like okay I really want to master this as much as I can I ended up going to Russia for a couple months to wrestle, but also to uh, two or three months, but also to like speak it and just be immersed in it. And yeah, and so and then that was, you know, I I went back to Russia the next summer and then I moved eventually to Israel where there's a lot of Russian speakers. So that was kind of where my Russian skills peaked. It, It wasn't, it was fluent and really good, but not quite, certainly still had an accent and people could still pick me out. But yeah, so anyway, that was sort of the, those sort of realizations and desires to improve came from sort of traveling and understanding that languages could open doors.
1: Can you paint a picture for me? I've never been to Russia and I've been very curious about what it's actually like there, more so in the linguistic landscape of Russia. So if you go to Russia, are is all the signage in Russian or is it in like roman letters too i think is what, what they're called but I'm, I'm just curious did that when you got there did you see the russian everywhere around you was that part of the inspiration you saw it in context did you share a bit about about what that looks like
0: yeah i so i was there the last time i was there was in 2007 so it's 14 years ago or more now than 14 years ago it was in june so yeah. I don't know as far as like English speaking or whatever else. I can say I was staying with a family where I got cheaper rent in exchange for giving the daughter English language, like conversational lessons. And I also had a family friend who was my, like daughter of a family friend who was my age, who I hung out with, whose English was really good. And so in terms of level of English it was there in terms of the streets I mean you know I think there was even then western things that you could see in Roman alphabet for whatever reason whether it's fashion or whatever else I think they had McDonald's in Cyrillic for example and yeah I mean the Cyrillic's everywhere I think I think it was less about you know by then my Russian was pretty solid it wasn't it definitely went up a notch living in Moscow, but it was pretty solid. But I think it was the positive sides are, again, just kind of meeting people and becoming friends, finding uh, whether it's people you're te- I was I had a couple of English students. But then also I would speak Russian with them afterwards and become friends, hanging out with the wrestlers in the in the club that I worked out at and just kind of, you know, they uh, you know, a few of them will joke with me in English, but most of them are speaking Russian, even though they're from all different parts of Russia or the former Soviet Union. And so it was really the usage, I mean, you know, trying to date women or whatever else, like the usage of Russian, I think was what really, that's what really pushed me. And then also what's funny about Russia, and I'm sure you've, I would, you know, curious what it's like in Japan, but the different countries are treat foreign speakers of their language differently A lot of times there's an eagerness to help by switching languages or slowing down. Sometimes there's pride. Look at you learning our language. In Russia, I always felt a little bit of judgment, especially because maybe it was all internal. But from my perspective of, well, my parents are Russian. This isn't like a great feat. And you would what I look at now is totally understandable. But at the time, I would be really pissed off about is you go to a museum and If you're a foreigner, you have to pay a higher price, which totally makes sense, actually, because you can say that's your tax dollars if you're a local, whatever. But to me, it pissed me off because they're not checking ID. They're just checking accent. And so every time I got forced into the foreigner line, that was basically somebody saying, your accent is pretty obvious, you American. Pay us more money. And so that was like a a little twist of the knife for me to try to really smooth out my accent. By the time I left my last trip to Russia I managed to go to one of the palaces near St Petersburg on the local rate and I was like pleased at myself for that but yeah so that, you know that's a wow. sillier reason but wow
1: wow that's, it's that, there that's interesting yeah I would wow so that does that does exist in Russia and fascinating fascinating story and I feel like we could we could talk a lot more about Russian and probably dedicate this entire show to Russian but I, I want to kind of shift gears a little bit. And kind of uncover a little bit more about your, your language knowledge. So I know you've, you've lived in primarily four countries, right? Being Israel, Luxembourg, Bulgaria, and now Spain. So with That's right. with Spain, you're fluent in Spanish as well, correct? I mean, I've, I've seen some of your, your podcast work and you're flowing. You're flowing from what I've seen. So what where did Spanish come into your linguistic repertoire and what reason was 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 behind learning spanish
0: yeah i mean i would say i'm fluent but the the errors are definitely there and the accent is my accent one of the i guess benefits of learning multiple languages is that my accent is now kind of a mix and so i don't know that i sound american i actually sound russian in spanish quite a bit because i Overroll my R's. I do a little bit too much of perro mm. and the R's go a little bit wild. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I studied it as a kid and you know, it's the most common foreign language to study in the States. I studied it a little bit, but mostly forgot it or totally forgot it. I met Amy, my wife in Israel, and she had already spoken Spanish and Portuguese fluently. She studied Spanish for a long time and then lived and studied abroad in Spain, but then also lived in California and then South America for quite some time. So that was, uh, so that was kind of in the air, like I, you know, the basic language around Spain. And then I had my friend who I told you about who was living in Spain. So I'd visit him quite a bit. So I like had the, the very basics in there somewhere. And, but that's sort of where they stayed because I was focused on learning whatever I, spoke wherever I was, when we decided to move to Spain, we had a long period in the States before that. And my mother-in-law is a, was a Spanish and French teacher and English teacher, but she had some old textbooks. So I think I looked over them some, I might've actually done it years before for whatever reason, but I, so I started studying, so I had some preparation and then I just kind of got here and we got lucky. We met a couple of friends who were Spanish speakers and who it was a couple and the guy spoke pretty good English, more or less fluent English and the girl didn't really want to speak in English. And so we really spoke a lot of Spanish. It was just a lot of immersion and a lot of, I took a subscription to the newspaper, the local newspaper on the weekends and I would read that. I read the, Sports pages are always sort of the easiest to translate because you just know what they're referring to. And so you can pick up words that way or pick up idioms or whatever else. And yeah, just kind of went from there and kind of just kept plunging ahead and getting corrected and modifying and trying to control those R's and whatever else to try to manage the, manage the language and so that's that's sort of you know i've been here three and a half a little over three and a half years now and it's there are days where it feel it's frustrating and i feel like feel like the foreigner the giri is the word here for, mm. for sort of anglo foreigner more or less or you know northern european so i feel that way if i, I was at the mechanics today and I was, you know, certain places where I just feel out of it. And Spanish also is, there's so many different accents, both in Spain and then people from, we have Cuban friends and I just went and played sports with some Cubans. And when they get going, their accent is, you know, I just kind of turn off and just don't, I jump in when I'm spoken to. And so uh, um, that's also there.
1: Mm. Would, is, would you say there's anything similar to your experience in Russia in Spain now where other people or other cultures giving maybe giving or not giving non-native speakers of their local language access to that language or or maybe frowned upon if you're not speaking in the correct accent or like like your experience in Russia has there been anything like that in Spain where you've had you've struggled to, to connect with, with local, with local people. No, I mean,
0: I think people are very patient. There isn't a super Spain in general is lower level of English than uh, Germany or Northern Europe, let's say it's, it's growing and you Mm -hmm. can, you know, we will have somebody stay at our place who doesn't speak any Spanish and she'll be fine. But it's it, it, there's a lot of patience and people will just kind of work it out with you. I don't I don't get flipped into English much at all. It's very rare. Mm-hmm. It happens, but and I always get annoyed when it does, even <laughs> though people are just trying to be nice. But mm-hmm. no, people are pretty patient. What I will say is, I feel I felt, what, for example, when seeing friends of our friends, I felt sometimes like they you get the perception when you don't speak the language that people treat you as if you're either more childish or dumber. Like the fact that you can't express yourself means that there's something about you. And so you get kind of patronized a little bit. And so I felt that a little bit in my early days, but I think that's, again, part of that is internal on my end. And I think that's also, you know, inevitable and sort of normal. And I, I will say with like our good friends, for example, I feel like with the growth of my Spanish, it feels like we're having more of an equal four way conversation. And so that's kind of nice, but yeah, I think there's, you know, there's also, I tend to be the sort of person that everybody likes, like people get along with me, but they also like to tease me. And so there's a little bit of that in there, even when I'm speaking well. So I, I, it's definitely not not the sense I got in Russia those years ago. It's more people are patient and, you know, I think they're understanding. And, well, you know, a lot of them are friendly. The There are a couple ladies at the local butchers who are always looking to strike a conversation with me. They know me. I've been there for years. So, no, I think people are welcoming and, you know, they, they know I'm a foreigner. There's no hiding that, but there's no, like dumbing down their spanish or looking down their nose at me
1: sure 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 um so so now you we've got russian we've got spanish so i just need to open up the question of what what other languages are you comfortable with engaging with would you say that you could carry about your business in besides russian english and and spanish
0: so i would say with each of these three it's i would like i if you dropped me in the country i would be fine but frustrated and then a week later i think a lot of the memory would come back and i would be pretty close to where i was when i left mm-hmm. but hebrew bulgarian and french in different different degrees i would say all of them i got pretty comfortable with by the time i left hebrew the least i was there only 2 years and That's another different alphabet. And it, even though I, you know, I'm Jewish, I learned it in Hebrew school, basically not as well as Cyrillic, but like, it's just, you know, both of those alphabets, it does take that extra effort. And so I actually have an easier time reading in French than I do in Russian, even though I know Russian a lot better. And Hebrew, it's even more of a degree of difficulty for me. But in terms of speaking it's a very, it's like a very building blocks language It's a very simple language to kind of the endings on pronouns are similar to the endings on, or excuse me, the endings on prepositions are similar to the endings on verbs, for example. So there's like cool things about the way the math works in Hebrew. So I'm pretty comfortable speaking it when I'm there and I sort of warm up the same goes for Russia or for Bulgarian and yeah, and I would say French. I mean, the last time I was in a French speaking place was, well, I guess I went to Morocco. We went in 2019. Mm. And so that was like a sort of, but yeah, it's, it's, it's rusty and I would be blundering through for a few days, but I think it would come back after a few, after that week or so.
1: Right, right. Wow. So that, that's six, six, Total. So of those of between Hebrew, Bulgarian, French, English, Russian, Spanish, I guess, would you, you would consider yourself a native speaker of English, right? At this point growing up yeah, in the States, yeah, okay, so yeah, you would yeah, say that's your totally. native, your native language. So out of the, the second or additional languages that you've mentioned, um, which of those languages do you feel you identify the most with?
0: I mean I think Russian says the most about who I am but I am haven't been back to a Russian speaking well no I I've, I've been in Russian speaking places since then but I haven't been back to Russia in 14 15 years 14 years the but yeah I would. I mean you know I think that's between my family between like if I run into we had a guy come over needed to do he does a type of work for us on the house and he's Russian I think he is Russian but he grew up in Germany and now he's in Spain and like I feel more of a connection with him than I would if Bulgarian came in for sure or a French speaker Hebrew it's less about the language there and I feel but I you know I I, there's an Israeli I met here in Valencia and like I get a kick out of the Israeli culture and I like get it I can like josh with it really easily even though I don't necessarily identify as that being a part of who I am Mm -hmm. so yeah I would say Russian is still even more than Spanish is the language that I most sort of say that reflects who I am it's probably still my second language despite Spanish maybe being a little bit more active and agile for me but sure. yeah, that's sort
1: of how I think about it. Sure, sure, sure. And so between all those languages, what you've mentioned reading the sports page in Spanish as a way to improve vocabulary or have an understanding of what's going on in in the sports section. But for, as far as Hebrew and, and Russian and these um, these languages that don't use the Roman alphabet, what has been... Uh, any other useful methods that you've used to to learn learn these languages
0: yeah i I think immersion generally i'm fond of and just i'm pretty stubborn and comfortable making mistakes and just kind of continuing to do it so just getting out there and speaking and getting corrected and whatever the i had a teacher we worked in a school in israel and i had a one of the Hebrew teachers there gave me private or she gave like group lessons, but it ended up becoming private lessons for me. And she had a great technique where she would just print out a picture, like a drawing with a lot of different things going on. Not quite a family circus sort of thing, but you know, this scene and she would just say, describe it to me, you know, give me your vocab, give me your, tell me what's going on. And so there would be no, there would be no cues, there would be no words on the page. And so it wasn't about writing or reading. It was just about using language and talking about it. And so I found that was a really cool way. You know, and it's interesting, Bulgarian and Hebrew were the ones where I had a teacher. I got a, I found a teacher to come once a week over to my place. We became good friends. And she would just, and at first she would come with like, curriculum plans or whatever and by the end of the three years she would just come over to talk maybe we'd read something but really we were just you know kind of talking and hanging out so I found those languages that was kind of how I overcame the because I didn't in either case I did not read newspapers or whatever and I think I, I think another a method I learned heard about in college from a language teacher was watch a movie but in the subtitles for that language so that you can hear and read and kind of reinforce what you're seeing and you can always look up words or whatever and really stuff like netflix and i think netflix is the best of the streaming platforms for it like that's a great way to kind of build vocab if that's what you're into Mm -hmm. i also like um music you know music is harder because you have to learn the words but learning to play a song, for example, obviously you're a guitarist, you know, if you learn to play a, play a song, I've got a couple French songs that I like to play. That's a nice way to kind of grab some vocab and, and pronunciation too. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm sort of any and all of the above. I'm a big reader, so reading is big for me, but then otherwise just kind of practicing and getting the, moving your tongue out there and adapting to what people say.
1: Sure, sure. Yeah, I, yeah, you touched on what I wanted to ask you next about. I know you're a big music fan, and so you mentioned the French songs, but is there any other um, music that you've connected to in, in the other languages that have influenced your, your studies, I should say? Sometimes I intentionally will listen to music just to study what the lyrics are, so I'm wondering if that has been effective for you outside of French, like if there's any other suggestions you have for that.
0: Yeah, it, it, it depends. Um, I would say in Hebrew, I got to, you know, get into a f- bunch of different artists. I don't know if there was like an indie versus not indie sphere. It's a small country, but there was, I remember taking one day, I brought in the, I said to my teacher, like, I'd like to learn the lyrics to this song. It was called Arye Viruti. I, I I may be, actually be misremembered, but it was like Ari and Ruthie, and it was, and it was a song. It's like a sort of slow song about a relationship, and the guy discovers that the girl's cheating on him, and the last line is something about like instead of taking one bullet, he takes two. And I, so I brought this <laughs> in. the the teacher after we like worked through the lyrics. She's like, "This song is kind of it's kind of nuts, huh?" I was like, oh. "Yeah." So that was an example. Um, You know, in Spanish, like here in Spain, Camarón de la Isla is a famous flamenco singer. So I've sort of tried to study some of his songs to understand them and get into, you know, and obviously a lot of Latin music, you know, salsa or La Lupe or Thelia Cruz or whoever, like lots of great music in the Spanish speaking world. I think the, in Bulgaria, it was different in so much as the music there, the folk music there is so beautiful. And it's really more about the dancing, the horo, and going around in the circle. And so it wasn't so much that the music itself taught me Bulgarian, but it put me into situations where I went to the big... Every five years, they have this dancing and music festival in a revolutionary town, essentially the Plymouth Plantation of Bulgaria, and it was just, it was like one of the most memorable experiences of my life, and just, I was there with a lot of English speakers, so it wasn't like I wasn't using English, but it was still, there was a lot of like, just, you sort of interact with the stage and with the performers, and so that was really the musical moment for me that for Bulgaria that was like really special if, if you may have heard, Jeff Mangum the hmm. guy from Neutral Milk Hotel did a recording of that in 2000
1: that he put out so that's oh, okay. like the huh. reference interesting and yeah so you said your your wife's also speak Spanish and just just out of clear curiosity do you ever converse together in Spanish or do you usually stick with with English
0: I mean a little bit just to you know whether if we're joking around with the cats or we're mm. trying to and there there's sometimes where just because you're using it a lot where the words will just come more naturally in spanish but no we're i mean and of course when we're seeing friends or neighbors or whatever we're mutually speaking spanish but between us we're mostly it's still you know it's hard to switch from whatever you first speak with somebody and also since we're both native english speakers it's just more natural for us to speak in English. Sure, sure,
1: sure. And interesting, you that, interesting you bring up that, interesting you bring up that when you first, like that first connection with someone, like if I spoke Spanish and I we just kind of switched to Spanish right now, it might be a little bit awkward, right? <laughs> so I totally understand that because so, we've always only communicated using English. So I've, I'm kind of, I'm interested in that dynamic between, you know, multi multilingual people that, which languages they choose and if there's that comfort that comes with you know, oh, we met using this language. So we'll just continue to use it. And I've noticed that too. Just lastly, I wanted to give you a, a chance to talk about this new project you have about uh, Visible Cities. It's pretty fascinating stuff. And if you want to just share about what Visible Cities is and what your vision for it is as as a newsletter slash blog type experiment, I'd like to hear more about that. Yeah,
0: mm. yeah sure. The there's a lot of hype around newsletters right now. Substack is where I'm hosting the newsletter and they're the big name right now. And Mm -hmm. Twitter and Facebook and a lot of other places are doing it. And I've spent some time in a similar part of the world from the finance perspective. And so, but I, I basically just view it as a blog except it sends out emails for now. I mean, if, if it takes off, of course, I can turn it into something more interesting, but I would be surprised, I'd be thrilled, but surprised if it goes anywhere fast. But it's basically just, yeah, it's basically just something I've been kicking around with the name Visible Cities for a long time, at least three or four years. And just the idea of, I just love places, I just love thinking about, if I read a book and there's a map at the beginning, like bonus points from the start, or if there's (laughs) A book that is talking about a specific location like as we record this next the next blog post that will come out or the next newsletter post that will come out is about this novel set in brooklyn in the 40s the 30s 40s maybe early 50s and it's just like you can see the exact street where it is happening down to the block basically and it's just such a descriptive picture of that time it's the Barbados community in New York so like you get a sense of the people around it and I just love stuff like that like I just love thinking about that and I've traveled a lot so I can sort of share some of my experiences and so it's just yeah so it's just the idea of like let's just try to bring together cool writing about places I'm doing it myself of course if anybody is ever interested I would love to share other people's thoughts but I what I try to do is each month I'm gonna do three posts it's once a week so every Thursday the first three Thursdays will be about a different city so I did one about Enid Oklahoma where it was a personal story about my visiting there and having kind of funny but also like weird issues with home weekend but also then like what is this Enid Oklahoma like why are people there and anybody famous from there and like what's the history and so forth and then I did Liege in Belgium and Rijeka in Croatia was what just came out this week and so I'm trying to find the balance I don't know if I've got it right yet as far as like I want it to present I want it to be about the place I want it to be the focus on the place so that you get a sensation as the reader of oh this is what Rijeka is like or this is an interesting story about Rijeka but then I think I need to bring something that's so that like from the author so that you have my perspective or why am I writing about this or why should you care? And so I'm also putting in stories about here was my time there and here's what I did there. I don't want it to be just like a travel diary. And so I'm trying to get that balance right. But yeah, so that's what it's about. I think it's what I'm excited about is actually more stuff like being able to write about books and how they deal with place or next month i'm going to do a musician that we know and just how how she uses place in her music and so that's something i think if i get this right it allows a focus on place as a consistent theme but then really it can go anywhere and i guess pun intended but in terms of like play how place works in our culture and in our lives and i've written you know, for, I worked at a finance website for a long time, I've, Dirty Music obviously is really where it all started for me, and I've done, you know, sports and politics and books, and it's, so I'm sort and then my own travel writing in various places, and so sort of looking to connect all that together through this dominant theme of place and of cities
1: very cool very cool it sounds like i mean it, it, i read the most recent one and i was really drawn into it so i think it's it has that potential and i like the idea of connecting your experience with the actual history of a place to to tie it all together for the reader
0: cool
1: so that's visible cities on substack right is that enough information to google and you should be able to find it or is there yeah it's or? visible
0: com. i think okay. if you google it you'll find it i don't uh, it's the name come, is inspired by a novel by Italo Calvino, an Italian author from the 20th century that was called Invisible Cities, which is mm. one of my favorite books and I recommend anybody to read. But yeah, I, I, I don't think you'll have a hard time finding it if you look for Visible Cities Substack.
1: Very cool. So everyone go check that out for sure. And just to to summarize today, man, that was a great, I think it was a very very interesting synopsis of your language learning journey and I think we could go off on each language in, in its own episode but to kind of get a snapshot of how you've gone from language to language from place to place and your experiences with you know connecting with people with movies with music with reading there's a lot to go off here especially from my perspective of attempting to, to facilitate the teaching of language. I I always take so much away from hearing people's stories as to how they learn it. So it it helps me a lot out too. So, uh, thank you so much for, for sharing today and all the best with visible cities as that continues to roll. Yeah. Thanks. and
0: Thanks so much, Kyle. And I think what you're doing here is really cool. I really liked the episode you shared with me already and I just, yeah, I mean, I hope I didn't prattle on too much, but I obviously love languages. And I think a lot of other people do. And so I think your focus on it is, you know, in your story, I would love to. I hope you get to cover your story of learning Japanese, which is, you know, I think probably a degree of difficulty above all of these languages that I mentioned. So I would hmm. love to hear that story one day.
1: Yeah, one day. Yeah, let, Let's let's hash that one out, too. That'd be amazing. Shifting voices. On the next episode of the Shifting Voices podcast, we head over to Osaka, Japan for a conversation with Jorge Alberto Galloway Piqueres, an outbound student support specialist at Kobe City University. Jorge shares insights on shifting between four languages, Spanish, Portuguese, Japanese, and English, explaining the importance of language learning in context, how his identity changes from language to language, and among other excellent insights, contrasting honorifics used in Japanese to... Hugs. Please do stay tuned for the next episode of Shifting Voices!